morning, I've been uh, wrestling. This was the sermon I was supposed to do last week, but because we didn't have church, um, everyone's like, oh, so you had a week off, right? You didn't have to go to work because all you do is preach? No, I had a lot of other stuff I had to do. Um, but I really felt like this was one of those sermons that, that God really put on my heart for the plant. And as a pastor, I'm so privileged and honored to be able to journey with people who want to fast, who want to follow Jesus, who want to be able to have truth spoken into their lives, that want to be able to see a community that that on the outside looks so perfect, but is broken. And we say that we want to go in and serve and love them and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that we can be the voice of Jesus. We can be the presence of of Jesus. And I was really thinking about this past fast and and knowing that some of you, just in my own conversations, have really struggled with this one. You've done it a few times, or maybe this is the first time that you've ever participated in a fast, and and there's this tension of, of wanting to quit. We've all felt that in our faith. Anyone ever felt that in their faith? That where's God? Where is he? I've done everything he's asked me to do. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've even fasted. I've already done all these things. Where are you? And for me, that's a lot of my life journey. That I follow Jesus and I see these moments and then they're taken away. These moments and then, and then I don't realize the growth and the depth that he's putting into my heart and into my life and into my character until I turn around and look as I've walked with him. I see that with my children too, that, that when we've had some really hard conversations and I've, and I've challenged my son, uh, one in particularly at, at a young age, that, that I could only, only put up with his attitude for so long. You ever feel that way as a parent? Like, there's only, anyone, raise your hands, okay? Everyone, if you have kids, raise your hand. There comes a point that you're ready to throw them through the window. Bring them to the police station. Not that I did that. Sure I did. All these different things that he and I have had a conversation that changed everything. I actually remember my father and I having a conversation when I was a young man that literally I was in eighth grade and he had this conversation with me that literally pushed me back. And having to have a deep soul check. And this morning, I just want to, as we're we're wrapping up the fast, as it's coming to an end, I, I want to talk about a discipline this morning. A discipline in Scripture that we all hate. Okay, can we say it? We hate it. Say it. We're gonna hate it. Say hate. Hate. Say it again. Hate. Say it again. Hey, you're going to hate me for this one. You are going to want to leave the plant and never come back. This is like pastoral, like I am going to chop everyone's head off and they're going to hate me for it. But it's the one thing that I've seen in my life. The complete faithfulness of God. i got a couple pictures for you. Can you throw them up here? Look at these different pictures. See if they can pop up. What's that look like? Hoorah. Yeah, hoorah. Right? If I was to think, bring up the word obedience, isn't this what we think about God? 
God getting in our face, wanting us to do what He is going to make us do whether we like it or not. And if we don't do it, we owe Him like 50,000 push-ups. Let's do another one. Right? How many teenagers feel like that today? Come on, teenagers. Give me a hand. Yeah, there we go. Everyone else is lying, right? That's what we think about when we talk about Father God. Father God. Father God is scolding me all the time. And we live in a place of complete fear and terror that all God's going to do is be like, you stink. You're horrible. You're this. You're not. You're gorgeous and beautiful and amazing and rare. I love you. All these different things. But that's how we think about Father God. When we think about Father God, He is in our grill. Next one. Right? Oh, it looks like Jakey. Every dog looks like, every dog looks like Jake to me. That's, Jake's my dog. We think of obedience. You know, kind of finding like manipulating our animals to be perfect so they don't go to the bathroom on our carpets and run away and go in our neighbor's house like my dog used to do. What's the last one? Should be one more mindless. I'm a Christian now, and so all I'm going to do is do whatever God tells me. Right? Look at me. I'm a puppet on a string. I've lost my mind. I've lost my heart. I've lost what I can do. And that's what the world looks at us. Mindless. Oh, you're just doing it because you're afraid of hell. Obedience. I think about this idea of fasting and I look at Scripture. And when we think about the word obedience, we think about mindless. Doing what we have to do. We think about that, 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 that sergeant getting in our face and demanding it. And if we don't, then you will be discharged. We think of a parent that is going to tell us everything that we can't do that's not fun. Don't we think about that? Like becoming a Christian, like it becomes really unfun. Like we can't be cool and we can't have fun. And we're just going to be sitting there. And every time we mess up, every time a curse word comes out of our mouth, every time we, we make a little bit of a mistake that God is right there, ready to spank us. Remember guys my age who used to get lots of spankings, right? We don't, we're not really allowed to spank our kids anymore, which is probably a healthy thing. But at the same time, there's this fear that God is going to wreck us. And it's almost like his whole world is waiting for us to fail. And all he wants to do is just squish us and throw us away. Do you know that obedience is actually a discipline? And do you know that obedience is one of the most greatest tools in our lives? That allow us to live out our calling. To find that perfect mate. To truly know our, our giftings. To live to our full potential. And that actually, that, that God has not demanded us to be obedient. But He has called us to be obedient so that we can live on a path where we get to find fullness of life. Being a college athlete, that was the one time in my life that I truly learned the discipline of obedience. And I'm going to say that word a lot. I knew that if I wanted to live to my full potential, that I had to put myself in a place of regiment 
And I don't mean regimen as in negative, regimen as in positive, to fully live out my fullest athletic potential. And I did. And I remember being in college because when I was in high school, I was just a knucklehead and I, I never lived to my full potential. My dad used to call me a late bloomer. Isn't that a great thing? Hey, don't worry, you're a late bloomer. This will happen someday. Thanks, dad. But what he really meant by this is like, stick with it. I remember just finishing my doctorate this past spring and, and I was living in this crazy routine of, of having this goal, this, this, this mindset that, that God's got something more for me to learn and that when I put my place in a place of discipline of all the things that God had me accomplish, at the end of it, I was able to walk down that aisle and wear that funny hat and celebrate what God has next. You see, when we think about obedience, it's almost like when we're thinking about this fast, is like, do I have to do it? Am I going to make it through it? I just want to cheat. I just want to give in. Why is Rob pushing this on us? As we know, that's not what fasting is. Fasting is putting ourselves in a position, in a posture, that we begin to shut the things of the world out so we can begin to hear the voice of God clearer. Let me tell you this. The majority of my fasts, I have walked away with nothing. And yet, one day I remember after fasting many, many times, God spoke to me and I was really wrestling with this whole idea of fasting. And he said, Rob, I am birthing into you things that you have no idea for the future. No idea. And so, so much about fasting is, is putting ourselves in a place of obedience, believing that God is speaking something deeply into our soul. That even though if we cannot see it, but He's building character. He's building hope. He's building perseverance. He's building love. I can honestly say that this fast has been the first fast after many, 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 many times that God's been speaking to me. And you know probably the one of the best, best things that happened in this fast is that I have been in a place of tension with an individual. A place of anger and hurt. And you know what God did one day during prayer? He changed my heart. And I found a new love for my friend. And do you know what happened during this fast? That my friend and I sat down and found healing. And I really believe that it was literally after years and years of obedience that God has begun to honor and see the true transparency of my soul. And so I think we really need to come to a place of, of not just following Jesus because He's my friend, not following Jesus because, because I'm His servant, right? 
But what about this idea of, of coming to a place of truly believing that I am following Jesus because I am part of His family and He is my Father and He loves me and He desires me to grow and He desires for me to have the fullness of life and He desires for me that the moment that I was in my mother's womb, that He had a plan, that He birthed the plan into my soul, that He birthed something in me and that when I walk with Him, that plan is going to become life. Do you realize that? That Monica, she's pregnant, that Monica, in Monica's womb right now, that child, boy or girl, God has already spoken a dream into that child's soul. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? You see, we come from a culture that we don't believe that. But when you look at Scripture, that's what it is. That every child that is born, that God has a plan and a purpose. So what does the Bible teach about obedience? You see, if I just tell you about obedience, it's kind of like follow me blindly and let me be your cult leader and let me be the mindless people that just do what Rob says. Listen to the words of Jesus. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. You see, when we follow Jesus in obedience, it is an indicator of our relationship with Him. It's an indicator of our love for Him. Jesus says, if you love me, then obey me. You see, when we think about obeying, when when God was in the garden with Adam and Eve, He said, do everything you want, everything you want, but this one, because I'm protecting you. When He gave the Ten Commandments to to the Israelites, He said, do all these things. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go on this crazy journey. But these ten things, this is what I want you to follow. Because in these 10 things, you will live in a place of healthy community. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't, don't covet your friend's wife, right? That's a place to live in a healthy community, right? Keep the Lord your God as the Lord your God. That's a place of keeping focused on Him and, and not on self. But whenever He gave the commandments, it was not to say, I'm giving you these to trick you, to trip you up, to make you fall, to make you fail, to show what a loser you are. But rather, he says, I'm putting together these things to protect you so that you can have life and have it abundantly. Let me read another passage. It says this in 1 John, my favorite book of the Bible. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, woohoo, but doesn't obey God's commandments, the person is a liar. And it's not even living in the truth, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they, are, they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say that they live in God should live, in their, should live their lives as Jesus did. What is the biggest tension in the world with Christians? They don't live out 1 John chapter 3, verse 3-5. through five. We have a bunch of hypocrites 
that are running around. And so when the world sees all this, they see people saying one thing, demanding one thing, but doing another thing. And really what the Apostle John is challenging him, saying, if you're really a Christian, then how does your life measure up to what Jesus had said how to live? Let me read one more passage. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know what obedience is? And some of you are going to be like, huh? Obedience is a form of spiritual warfare. Obedience is a form of spiritual warfare. And what I mean by that is that when you live a life of following Jesus, which you will never be perfect, which you will mess up. My kids mess up all the time, but I love them. I love them. I correct them only because I love them. The Bible says that God only disciplines those He loves. If you have conviction in your life, it's because God loves you. Not because he wants to see you fail. But when you live in a place of obedience, what you are doing is you're not allowing Satan in. You're not allowing the the demonic to have a foothold, a stronghold in your life. When you're saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm going to put myself in a place, even when I'm so ticked off at you, even though when I think that you are failing me, I'm going to walk this path. What you're saying is that you are not giving ground to the enemy. Amen? Amen. How many of you guys feel like you're just stinking tortured all the time? Why? Because the enemy knows how to get you. He knows how to throw you off. He knows how to trip you up. But when you come to a place and you trip You're not going to fall. You're going to catch yourself. Because when we sin, we feel that God has failed us. You see, it's so easy to look at this and be like, yeah, that's really easy to say, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. You're telling us to be obedient, but but give us an example. Show us what it really, really means. That's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus. It says that he was obedient unto death. Listen to this. I just wrote down four things. Temptation. For 40 days he was tempted. He was tempted to be, to have everyone just worship him and not God. He was tempted to to own the city of Jerusalem. He was tempted that when he was starving that, that he would be provided for food. But in temptation he stayed obedient. Betrayal. How easy it when we are betrayed by someone, especially another brother or sister in Christ. That we're like, this Jesus stuff, this is for the birds. You like that little kick? Right? Don't we do that? Birds. Betrayal. What about betrayal? How easy it could have been for him to say, thanks God, you put all these guys in my life, and when I need them the most, they run away. Right? Abandoned. Same thing. Left to his own to suffer and die. And even in the midst of everything, he was obedient through death. And so Jesus gives this parable about a house 
being built on the rock or the sand. And we know what happens with sand, that whenever you build something on sand, that, that it can last for so long, but once the storms come, and once the waves come, all of a sudden the, the foundation goes, and the house goes, you see, living a life following Jesus of kind of making up our own rules and, and choosing to do what we want to do or not to do, it's like us building our house, our lives, our souls on sand where, where things are going to come and all of a sudden we pick and choose and, and then all of a sudden our foundation shifts that, that God really doesn't love me and we fall. But when we build our house like the lighthouse, like a lighthouse on a rock, when the storms come, when the winds come, when the trials come, when the failures come, when the betrayal comes, when feeling abandoned comes, that when we build ourselves on the rock and we see Jesus and we believe that He has a better, best, ultimate life for us, that when all these things happen, we're able to stand. We're able to stand. I'm going to say it this way. I hate freaking obedience. I hate it. I hate it. But all I know is that when I put myself in a place under the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I stop seeing this whole idea of just trees, but I see the bigger picture of the forest of what He's taking me through. I stop looking at the immediate and all of a sudden He starts opening a door and saying, follow me, go, go, go. Here's the barriers to obedience. Let me give you three real quickly. Pride. I want to do it my way. God does not know what's best for me. That's a lie. I believe it. I've believed it. But God has the ultimate perfect way. Pride. Unbelief. Our beliefs are always challenged in the most difficulties of our life with our children, with our careers, with our relationships, and with our finances. And lastly, self-centered expectations. Believing that I know best and that I believe that God has given me a plan but it hasn't lived out the way that I've expected. Really? I wrestle with this one all the time. Men, I know you wrestle with this. I know you look in the mirror and you say how much further you thought you should be in your life than now. Maybe God is letting you go through all this stuff for a purpose, for a plan. Do you ever think of that? That everything that's going on in your life, maybe He's allowed it to unfold because He's trying to strengthen you and build you up that you can live in that ultimate place of knowing the fullness that Jesus has for you. I've been wrestling with that. God, do you truly know what's best? You know what's so cool? When we really put ourselves in a place of obedience, God always sends someone to encourage us. I would say right now over the last really month, and it's not from anyone here, it's from outside sources, I've had people texting me and emailing me about what God is doing in my life on those days that I don't even want to hold on to certain things. You see, God is always going to send a word of encouragement to push you through, to push you to the place of knowing that He has His perfect will for you. 
Let me just share a couple stories of the reward of obedience. I'm going to go through them quick. First, Noah's obedience saved his family from the flood. And not only saved his family from the flood, but saved us. Human race would have been gone if we really truly believe in Scripture. If Noah would have been devastated and wouldn't do it, we wouldn't be here. God used one man's obedience. Abraham's obedience resulted in his becoming the father of a great nation. Here's the most beautiful story about Abraham was his wife was unable to have children. She was unable. And God said, I'm going to use Sarah to birth my nation. Well, you know what? Know what Abraham did? He screwed up, right? He screwed up. But yet God still loved him. And he got back in his place of obedience. And Sarah got, Sarah got pregnant. And she became the mother of nations. Moses led his people out of bondage. He took a whole, whole nation and took them out of the hardest, darkest place that we could be in a place of humanity. It was like the Holocaust, literally, if not worse, that Moses went into Egypt and he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm going to follow God because Jesus hadn't come yet. I'm going to follow God in such a way that even in my failures, I'm going to stay on the path and these people are going to be set free. And you know what? They were. Joshua won the battle of Jericho by doing something insane. Circling, a, circling this, this city and everyone started chanting, hoo, hoo, ha, ha, hoo, hoo, ha, ha, hoo, hoo. Blowing trumpets and singing songs to God. And all of a sudden, what happened to the city walls? They fell down. Now, we don't want to believe that they fell down. But if we don't want to believe that they fell down, then we shouldn't believe that the story of Phyllis that she got pregnant was God. But God did it. And God always did the supernatural because it proved that He was God. And no one else could get the credit. You see, when we live in a place of obedience, God rewards us. Not for our glory, not for our fame, but that we keep following Him. I'm watching you. I'm following you. And you're going to show up. What would happen if we were... I'm kind of excited this morning, aren't I? I really wasn't planning on this. What would happen if we were a people that said, we're going to follow Jesus. And every time we screw up, we're going to believe Proverbs where it says, seven times a man falls, but seven times he picks himself up. What would happen if we became a people that just started following Jesus in obedience? Let me wrap up with this. I have more, but I'm just going to wrap it up. We don't need any more wrapping up. I had Jacob read that passage. And in that passage, David had written, he said, how does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young person, how does a person keep their life pure? And David answers that question by saying, by following the decrees of the Lord. How many of you are fasting right now when you, the first week you just felt horrific and wanted to kind of like jump in a river, right? Some of you? Yeah, me too. Me too, because you know what I did the night before the fast? I got pizza, wings, ice cream, and about 12 cups of coffee. My stomach went, I think it started speaking to me. But all of a sudden, there's going to come a point, whether this fast or fast to come, that you'd be like, I can't believe I feel so healthy. And someone would be like, wow, you look good. 
sometimes we have to get rid of, we're so used to the, the crap in our life, the garbage. We're so comfortable in it that when we shift to following Jesus, it becomes uncomfortable and almost feels unhealthy. Like if you're really doing the Daniel fast, you're not going to die. You're actually putting yourself in the most healthy place that your body has probably been forever since you were a baby. And that's what it is like following Jesus that, that there's this rub that goes on in our lives that all of a sudden that we're like, I don't think this is good for me. I don't think this is right. And if we stay following Him, His fullness will be seen. I want to tell a concluding story. This wasn't even part of my application. My grandfather died um, when I was little. My grandfather, like most granddads, are our heroes, right? Right? We love our granddads. I had one great, my one grandfather was unbelievable. My other one was like, I didn't even know who he was. Lived in Georgia, wanted nothing to do with us. It's a really sad story. But he was a Christian. Praise God, he's in heaven. <laughs> that was a mockery, if you, that was sarcastic, okay? But my other grandfather was the ultimate. He would take his grand, grandkids away for a week. And he died really young. So I missed out on the big trip. The big, big trip. And for some reason, I've always had this picture of my grandfather being the ultimate man. And he was. And I remember like, God, why would you take Pup-Pup? Why would you take him from me? He was the kind of grandpa that I always wanted. I didn't want some grandpa in Georgia that never wanted to see us. I wanted, I wanted Pup-Up who would take us in his big old Lincoln and drive us around and listen to 8-tracks and all these things. 8-tracks are these things that you put in. And you just... <laughs> so he ended up passing while he was away with my one brother. So he took my brother away, and while he, he was away, he had a stroke, and then he had a heart attack, and he died that same week that he took my brother away. So I was at college and I, I was at a Christian college at the time and I was after I got my life together and I was going to Evangel College out in Missouri. And for some weird reason, I really believe it was the Holy Spirit just really causing me to wrestle with my grandfather's death. So this guy came to our chapel and kind of picture this with me. Hopefully I tell it clearly. And that whole week I was wrestling with pup-up and you know, why, why God? Why does it seem like sometimes you take the greatest things out of our life, Right? Doesn't that make sense? It doesn't make sense. And this guy came and he was doing this potter's wheel. It was, it, was, it was a speechless, wordless sermon where he just sat on this wheel and he was building this vase, just like scripture talks about. And, and right when it got perfect, he squished it. Then he built it again. And all the college students were like, oh. And then they became annoying and everyone got louder. And ah, just who could be the loudest college kid? But there came this moment where everyone was in awe of this vase that he was building. Is that the right way to say it? Vase? And all of a sudden, it was per- finally perfect after breaking it and building it, breaking and building it, breaking and building it, breaking and building it for 30 stinking minutes. It's a long chapel. And all of a sudden, the music stopped and he walked off. And this was, I believe this wasn't even planned. There was, there was like a, a light shining right on that vase. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I kid you not. He said, that was your pup-up. He lived his life to the end. And when I was done with him on earth, I took him home 
to be with me in heaven. And all I heard was, well done, good and faithful servants. Come into my rest. I want to live that life. I, I, I actually told Sue last night, yesterday, matter of fact, that I was willing to go through anything to live out God's calling. I am willing to fail, which I had to come to grips with. I let everyone else in my life fail but Rob. I will go through anything in my life so that one day I'm done. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want our children to say, wow, I'm going to miss them, but they are done. Don't we want the world to see us and be like, wow, all I remember was this, this mist of a, of a person, of a woman, a man, a teenager that looked like Jesus. I want to challenge you. Live a life of obedience. I'm not saying perfection. I'm saying obedience. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. You're going to trip. You're going to fail. Do I screw up a lot? Yeah, a lot. I mess up. But the best thing to do is, when you fall, stay on your knees. Stay on your, stay on your knees. Stay on your knees when you fall. When you screw up. When you do something you thought you would never do. You stay on your knees and you beg God and say, God, forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lift me up and keep me walking. I, I hate what I went through in life, but if I had to go through everything that I've gone through, the drugs, the alcohol, all the stupid relationships that I've gone through, which I ne- wish I never ever did, if I went through all of that to live out God's calling, to learn to walk in obedience, then praise Jesus. But there had to come a day that I got on my knees and I got them dirty. And there's going to come a day this week that I got to get on my knees and get dirty. Because God is not that Father that wants you to fail. He's that Father that wants you to live the life. I want my kids to succeed. I want my kids to live the greatest life. I want my kids to excel past I ever excelled. I want my kids to do more than I've ever done. That's how God looks at you. That's how Jesus looks at you. And so as we finish up this fast, if you've been struggling through your fast, if you're ready to quit this morning, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to the snowblower and I'm starting that baby up. I want you to finish strong. I want you, if you've had a rough week and you just want to quit or you've cheated, just stop and say, God, this is part of my learning curve. This is part of what you're doing. Get back on that horse and say, I'm finishing through Tuesday. When you are used to going to certain bad patterns in your life, whether it be relationships, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be pornography, whether, whether it be isolation, whether it be cheating with your money, next time it happens, here's what I'm praying. Jesus is going to haunt you, haunt you, because he has the best for you. Amen? Amen. I truly believe this. I must be freaking whacked. I really believe this. I really believe that this is the life that God has for us. And you know what? I see it in you. I see it in Matt Goodrich. 
I see it in him. I see it from my first conversation with him to the conversation I've had this week, that this is where he's wanting to go. I see this with many of you, that you're saying, this is it. I'm going to screw up. Don't tell me what to do, Rob. Matt, I don't. The Holy Spirit does. Follow him. And when all else fails, follow. I love what Peter said. He said, where can I go from your spirit? No, I'm sorry. David said that. What what happened when all was falling apart with the disciples? Jesus said, are you going to leave me? Peter says, I have nowhere else to go. That's when Jesus is Lord. Amen? Let's rock it.